Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 356. Today is March 3rd, 2022. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, hey, just in case you haven't read the title to this episode, the title is Absolutely Nothing About Ukraine or Russia. Now, sometime last week, I put out a blog post over at investablewealth.com. If you're on the mailing list, you saw that blog post. For now, I've said all I'm going to say about the current events and what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. What I want to do instead is drill down on why I'm staying in this market right now, why I'm not panicking, and nor am I trying to chase performance on individual stocks on a daily basis. And rather than just focus on today's current events because I nor nobody else can predict the future. So we don't know how this is all going to get resolved, right? I have my opinions. I can look back over my life experiences. I can study history and I can come up with some conclusions. But nobody, and especially not the big mouth talking heads all over media, know exactly what's going to go on or how this is going to play out. The world is a really complex place and the stock market, the financial markets are not easily defined. So rather than focus on what's happening today, let's just go back three months ago and remember when a lot of these same pundits were telling you about Omicron, how it was the latest variant of the COVID-19, and how the pandemic was getting even worse. You know, we're almost two years into it. We've got this new variant. It's a super spreader. And without exception, there was a great deal of gloom and doom starting around uh, early to mid-December the stock market took a big sell-off, and especially among the smaller capitalization-type stocks and those related to you know, what I've been calling the reopening trade or the COVID-90 portfolio. All the naysayers came out, and they started panicking over Omicron. Now, let's fast forward three months to right now. And the comments I'm going to make are not about the human loss or the human tragedy or the human illness that was caused by Omicron but simply looking at the economics of it. The overall effect to the economy on things like entertainment, travel, hospitality, those type sectors, restaurants, bars, hotels, they were hardly impacted at all. And from my point of view as an investor, what's even more important than that is that the performance of many of those type stocks over that period were far and away much better than the overall S&P 500 or the general stock market performance. And speaking of the general stock market performance and all that's going on over the last two weeks and what we're not going to even talk about today in this episode, if you're watching the news or the media, you may feel that you're in World War Z, but do you realize that over the last week, the S&P 500 is actually up 1.7%. I was talking to somebody earlier today and they were saying like, wow, the market's down you know, 20% in the last week. No, it's actually up 1.7 over the last five days or so as I record this episode. Now, over the last month, the S&P 500 is down about 3.8%. And this hasn't been a good year for the S&P. We're down year to date about 8.26%. We had been down as much as about 11%, but that's improved. So my portfolio is down as well. But one of the key reasons I didn't sell three months ago before we knew what was happening right now was because I knew that all the fear and panic and trepidation about Omicron 
wasn't going to have a long-term negative impact on the stock market or on my portfolio. The reason I'm not panicking is because although my portfolio is tilted in one direction, it does have a great deal of diversification and that diversification tends to mitigate overall risk. And what that means is that while some of my positions have fallen off a cliff, other positions are getting favored right now because of the current geopolitical events that are going on. And so it tends to balance itself out. And pulling this back and how it relates to Omicron, the big fear going back in December was that all these reopening stocks, the service sectors, and these companies that tend to be smaller cap and mid-type cap stocks, those things went down severely. The overall small cap Russell 2000 index, I think at its worst point, was down 25 27% at some point since December when all the big fear happened about Omicron. But you know what's happened is these smaller and mid-cap stocks are actually doing better. And you'd be hard-pressed right now to find anybody that's worried about the pandemic. And for the most part, the mid-caps and the small-cap stocks in every category have outperformed the S&P 500 pretty much over the last week, over the last month, over the last three months, you know, year-to-date type numbers. Russell 2000, as I record this, is up nearly 2% over the last week. That's during all this turmoil. Year-to-date, the Russell 2000 is down, but it's only down about 5%, where the S&P 500 is down over 8%. And the mid-cap stocks, year-to-date, down somewhere in between the two, they're, they're down about oh, a little more than 6%. I'm belaboring the point here, but I want to focus on the fact that all the fears from three months ago that caused the big drastic drawdown in these smaller cap type companies and these reopening stocks, it didn't pan out. In fact, it ended up being exactly the opposite, and that's why under the surface, these companies are doing really well, and I expect them to continue to do well regardless of what's happening in the headlines today. In fact, I would make the argument for everything that's been going on in the last two years, whether it's pandemics or supply chain disruptions or political disruptions or real estate or corporate shakeouts, whatever the headline problems are over the last two years, the country and the region that's performing better overall continues to be the United States and the North American continent. And what that means for the stock market is that global money continues to flow into United States equities. Global money wants to be invested in some place that's secure and growing. And that is the United States and the North American economy. And so while there's a lot of geopolitical panic right now today, I interpret that as just further fueling the rise in U.S. equities. And especially in these smaller, mid-sized companies which don't have exposure to foreign currencies and geopolitical risks. Just to pile on to this example, one of my reopening stocks that I own is Lyft. Now, as of late, it's done horribly. I've still made plenty of money on it over the last 15 months, but it's had a bad six months or so. But one of the reasons I bought Lyft, as opposed to Uber, was because Lyft is pretty much just the United States or a North American company and they're focusing on the ride-sharing portion of the business. Uber, on the other hand, 
has gone international and they've expanded not only from just ride sharing to food delivery and other delivery things. And, you know, long term, that may all benefit Uber. But for the period of time we were in during the pandemic transition, and then the fact that this is all still new technology and an emerging application, I wanted to put my money on a company that was U.S. centric and was focusing on one thing. And just to give you an example how that disparity can take place, although both of these companies have had a rough patch lately, year to date, Uber is down almost 25%, while Lyft is only down 13.5%. Now that's not great news, it's still down, but you know, it's down almost half as much as Uber. I bring that up just to illustrate the point about how focusing on niche companies and specifically those that are focused on the United States, where overall the economy continues to grow, it continues to expand, and for all of our problems, we're still the best house in a bad global neighborhood. And that's not changing anytime soon. Now, as far as specific positions and portfolio diversification and how that can mitigate risk, and why I don't sweat these day-to-day huge fluctuations in the market, I got to remember I don't think we're headed into a recession. If I thought that this was going to be a long-term recession and we were going to be in a bear market, I would have sold everything or nearly everything and I would have gone to cash and I would have just waited for the dust to settle before I buy back in. But I think that a lot of things are way overstated. I think the economy is more dynamic and in better shape than people want to admit. But we get these switchbacks where in a day or two, things can bounce back up that rather than trying to time every little move in the market, it's better just to stick with it and ride it out and let your positions appreciate over time. And remember that number about the S&P performance year to date. Although everybody's freaking out, the overall S&P 500 is only down a little more than 8% year to date. Well, on a general percentage basis, Because I own so many stocks and because they're diversified across many sectors of the economy, about 66% of my overall portfolio is performing better than the S&P 500. Now, it's still down overall, right? Don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm making money hand over fist. But I have more positions that are up year to date than I have that are down. And some of them are up significantly. Let me tell you these positions and it's not going to come as any surprise. Devon Energy, year-to-date, up over 33%. Chevron, up over 33%. ExxonMobil, up over 32%. XLE Energy ETF, up over 31%, almost 32%. Lockheed Martin Marietta, it's a defense contractor, aerospace, year-to-date, up over 26%. Mercury Systems, that's another aerospace defense company, up over 25% year-to-date. L3 Harris, another aerospace defense company, up almost 20% year-to-date. General Dynamics, up over 14%. Okay, no surprise there. What's outperforming in my portfolio? Energy stocks and defense stocks. Now, I didn't rush out and buy those last week or the week before, trying to catch the trend. I bought every one of those stocks anywhere from 12 to 15 months ago. When I bought them at the time, because I can't predict the future... I didn't know we were going to be in the situation we're in right now. So that's not why I bought the stocks. And I didn't run out and buy them lately just to try and catch an upswing. I bought those stocks 12 to 15 months ago because they made sense. 
I thought that they were either fairly valued or undervalued. I thought that at some point in the future, they would be good holdings because they would appreciate and be priced at a level that was far and away above what I paid for them. Now, again, that's not because I could predict the future and know what was happening over the last couple of weeks. It's because I was able to identify value. And that value didn't necessarily immediately play out. Some of these have done better. Devin's been a great performer almost that entire time. But these aerospace defense companies, they really have only picked up recently. So my point here, I don't encourage investors to try and predict the future or think that they're smarter than everybody else. And they can go out on a daily basis and buy something today and flip it tomorrow or next week. Because also, if you look at these stocks on a daily basis, they may be up 5% one day, but they're down 10% the next week. The market's too variable. Look for value, identify value, and invest now in quality, reasonably priced companies that at some point in the future will appreciate. And to carry this point a little further, and this is really, again, to emphasize the fear and panic over COVID over the last three months. Let's forget about these high performers in energy and aerospace, and I own other things, you know, Freeport MacMoran, other material type stocks, they've done extremely well. But let's just look at the reopening pure plays. Year to date, when everybody was so worried about COVID and everything sold off so bad, the hospitality, the travel type companies, a lot of them got beat up, but others have turned around, especially turned around over the last three months, and let's quickly just look at a couple of them. Performance Food Group. This is a food distribution company that handles mostly like fresh vegetables, lettuce, tomatoes, things like that. They supply all the restaurants and especially the big fast food restaurant chains. Year to date, they're up over 18%. Molson's Coors, you know, the beer company, they're up year to date over 10%. Tyson Foods, up nearly 10%. Host Hotels and Resorts, only up about 1% year to date, but if you back it off and you go into the big downturn that happened when Omicron first surfaced, if you look at host hotels' performance over the last full three months, they're up nearly 15%. Marriott Hotels, year to date up over 14%, over the last three months, over 16%. Six Flags Corporation, the company that runs one of the amusement parks. Year to date, they're down a couple percent, but overall, over the last three months, up well over 15%. So just to give you an idea of how quickly things can change and how the media narrative about what everybody's worried about at the time doesn't necessarily pan out. And I could go over another 30 or more names of small companies that you've probably never heard of, especially those ones that focus on diagnostics or little industrial companies, little fabrication companies, that are holding up quite well and significantly doing better than the overall S&P 500. If you miss the boat on these reopening stocks or these smaller mid-cap companies in the past, I think it's still a great buying opportunity. Companies like Lyft and Yelp, Trivago, TripAdvisor, and then there's all the banking stocks. Um, I still like companies like Twitter. There's just so much opportunity out there because as bad as people want to say the economy is, the fact of the matter is, is that GDP is higher now than it was pre-pandemic. Productivity is higher now than it was pre-pandemic. The balance sheets of all the companies that have survived and of most consumers are better off now, and the wealth factor is higher now than it was pre-pandemic. 
Those are all long-term good things for the economy. And all the issues we have with inflation and supply chain disruptions and shortages and everything else, remember, it's all based on an imbalance between supply not being able to keep up with demand. People want to buy things, and they have money to buy things. And even if the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, or even if gasoline gets even higher than it is, you know, the economy's still going to chug along. The problem is, is that we just don't have enough supply to keep up with it. And the further good news is that these supply chain disruptions are not about a lack of natural resources. We've got plenty of timber. We've got plenty of copper. We got plenty of oil and gasoline, natural gas. All these things are in abundant supply. We're not running out of the natural resource. We're just having supply chain issues in converting those raw materials to products and then getting them distributed to where people want them. Those supply chain issues, those manufacturing bottlenecks, they work themselves out. Even with the current situation with oil, and we're at, what, 10-year highs on the price of oil? Listen, there's plenty of oil in the ground. And if one country goes offline like Russia, if we sanction them or they can't produce or they decide not to produce or there's a war or some other problem and their oil goes away, well, you know what? We simply remove sanctions on a country like Iran and we cut back on regulatory restrictions and we get people in North America to produce more oil and it balances itself out. We are not in an existential threat of existence right now. There's plenty of opportunity out there, both in the stock market and in the individual economy. And so my message to you is not panic, but go out and take advantage of it. Ah, but I digress. Well, hey, as always, until the next episode, this is John Pagliano wishing you the very best returns.